Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on today's show. I have two very special guests, returning guests. It's uh, Brett and Thomas of PSYOP Cinema. And this will be, I think, my 13th show with them in episode 1002. I can't even believe I'm over 1,000 now. But uh, they've been talking to me, to, to uh, telling me to watch this movie, Arlington Road. And I'm glad I watched it. Really interesting. It came out in 1999. It was released in 1999 uh, after all kind of these strange events of the 90s, these bombings in the U.S. But uh, pretty good movie. I didn't I don't think it got a lot of press or wasn't really that popular. But uh, uh, we're going to talk about it. There's a lot to talk about. Lots of themes and uh, kind of historical tie ins from that time. But before we get started, I am now kind of a brand ambassador for Liquid IV. Uh, the subtitle of their product is Fueling Life's Adventures. It's a pack of different energy and hydration liquids. And uh, I use it all the time, actually. I actually drink a lot of it. I think their energy blend or whatever is really the best. It's not jittery. And one of the benefits of this is you can, it's just a powdered uh, you know, thing you can carry around. So if you go for a hike or go to the beach or something, you can take this down. I think it's better than Gatorade. I don't find it to be very sweet. Uh, they claim it's two times faster hydration than water. And I think there's something to it. And I've seen it um, out at parties. Like now it seems to be a more common kind of like almost a party favor if people are out kind of drinking or out late or something like that. But uh, there's all kinds of different flavors and packages. But you can use my code for 20% off at their website, liquidiv.com. And it is free shipping. So it's 20% off plus free shipping. And uh, if you have an active lifestyle, I highly recommend you check this out. Nothing GMO, premium ingredients. You get a lot of vitamins. I use their also their immunity blend too. So I just uh, feel a lot better taking their stuff. I really do. I'm, I'm very pleased to promote this uh, product. And I've seen it a lot more at Costco as well, but uh, you can do the show a favor by ordering something through them. So I really appreciate it. Again, it's my code is WRI. So William Ramsey investigate the acronym. You can just type in WRI, get 20% off and free shipping. But again, we're going to talk about uh, Arlington Road and it stars Jeff Bridges, Tim Robbins, Joan Cusack. And uh, I, I recommend this movie. I think people check it out, but we can talk more about that with Tom and Brett. So Tom and Brett, welcome to the show. Thanks, William. Thanks, William. Good, Good to be back, back once, once again. again. Yeah, so, so, so people may not uh, have heard about this film or anything like that. Maybe you guys can uh, do a brief overview and kind of first impressions. Yeah, sure. So Arlington Road is this 1999 uh, conspiracy thriller um, directed by first time, no, his second time feature director, Mark Pellington, mainly a music video uh, guy, but it had a bunch of stars in it, you know, like Jeff Bridges and um, Tim Robbins and Joan Cusack. Um, and I guess it, I, my memory was it was well received by critics, but I guess it wasn't all that uh, well received by critics. But I just I thought it was a pretty good movie um, at the time that I, I saw it. Um, and then I watched it again. I mean, I heard it mentioned sort of in conspiracy circles and I, and I watched it again. And I mean, yeah, it was actually kind of astonishing. Like this is it, it, it is a psyop and it's a very brazen um, PSYOP, I mean, to, to begin, I mean, to begin to justify that claim, I mean, the technical supervisor on the film was the ATF agent in charge of the Waco raid, whose name is Philip Chodna, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's, uh, um, C-H-O-J-N-A-C-K-I. 
um, credit as a technical advisor's only credit. And it, yes, the film is a, a very brazen and I think very nefarious um, misdirection, disinformation, psyop campaign that the federal government is running through their their Hollywood partners. And I think it really really deserves to be exposed. Actually, I think it's kind of sick. But um, um, but about, as far as the plot, so this this guy, <laughs> the play, guy played by Jeff Bridges, is a history professor at George Washington University. And at the beginning of the film, he finds this kid who is in a in a trance, in a daze, in a scene we'll I want to spend as much time as about any scene in the movie on at the beginning and the the opening credit sequence. But and he finds out that this is his neighbor's kid, and his neighbor's played by Tim Robbins. And there's something very suspicious and odd about uh, the Robbins character. And you know, full spoiler alerts, he turns out to be some well, ostensibly, right? He's a he's a right wing um radical who's disguised as like just a suburban guy. I mean, in other words, he's acting like an intelligence operative. And we'll break down how everything they do, right? Parallel sort of covert um infiltration tactics and all this. It's not this isn't what right wing militia groups do. In fact, it's what feds did to right wing militia groups. So there's this constant inversion going, but he turns out to be this like um, right-wing extremist guy who's basically living in a whole neighborhood colonized by these people that have apparently they're like the Illuminati, right? They've, they've, they're everywhere. I mean, they, and the film plays constantly on this paranoia of, you know, they could be anywhere, you know, these extremists and, um, and they're setting Jeff Bridges, uh, Parallax View style, a movie that we, uh, we covered with you, William, they're setting him up to be a patsy, um, as like just some disgruntled guy, but no, it's not the Fed setting a guy up for as a patsy. It's this secret Illuminati right wing militia. I mean, this is so it's 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 through and through, right? It's it's Fed propaganda. It's a paranoid Fed fantasy. Right, right. It really is. It really is, and it's still it's relevant to today. If you look at this whole Whitmer kidnapping plot and stuff like that, so but yeah, they inverted it just like you said. And I would add that this is actually very relevant to our most recent discussion on your show. And we talked about uh, we talked about David McGowan's book, Program to Kill. And even though here we're thinking about terrorism rather than on serial killing, still uh, we see a very similar dynamic in terms of um, in terms of the misdirection away from organized conspiracy to some nebulous idea of uh, of some horrible superpowered evil that just permeates society and. Uh, the and the breakdown of social trust, a point that McGowan makes in uh, Program to Kill as being a big part of that psyop, shows up very, very obviously here, uh, even with the tagline of the film, Fear Thy Neighbor. So uh, both um, both some of the themes we talked about in the realm of serial killing psyops on the last uh, uh, appearance on this show, and then also something that Brett and I just talk about more generally in regard to what we call the Joker cycle, media about spectacular crime. Um, in our coverage of that topic, we've often talked about serial killers as well as mass shootings uh, and MK assassins, but obviously terrorism is uh, is a huge example of that kind of thing as well. So there's a couple of major ways that Arlington Road um, intersects with other things that we've spoken about recently. Yeah, so if you want, we can jump into the movie and just kind of unpack um, some of the, the, the themes and, and claims that we've made, um, if that's all right with you. I think the opening credit sequence is is worth talking about for for a while. I mean, it was designed first of all by Kyle Cooper, who's the same guy who did the title sequence on Seven, and then went on to you know recycle himself literally hundreds of times. Um, so this is an example of that that style, 
which at first might look like a, um, you know, a kind of slick studio version of that. Um, and Pellington is a kind of hack studio sort of director. Um, but there's some very disturbing material in it. And I do think that the sound, the, the use of audio in that, that sequence and really throughout the movie and in, with, with highlighted by some particular sequences is really disturbing and um, is part of what makes the movie effective. But so you see this like flash out of a downward pointing star uh, from either upside down or backwards American flag in the opening credits. And it's followed by this back masked audio from the clip that they use. So there's like this theme of inversion that's gonna come up over and over, you know, the inversion of projecting you know, the crimes of the feds and and the methods of the um, covert um, operatives onto these right-wing militia groups and so on. It's this constant inversion. So it's announcing itself as a satanic inversion. And um, we'll talk more about the background of Pellington and music videos, but um, he's a guy who, yeah, I mean, he's directed a lot of these music videos for um, these sort of IMSA Illuminati type of artists and people who look like they're controlled by the dark forces of the music industry and so on. But the credits, by the way, for... The music is is Angelo Badalamenti, it should be said, who's the um, uh, David Lynch's uh, constant collaborator. Um, anyway, so then there's it cuts to the shot of these three little girls. They're um, in identical outfits, and um, two like two of them split away, and and it leaves the third in the middle. She turns on the camera, seemingly attacking her. Now Pellington has said that he was trying to make this sequence as unnerving and disturbing as possible and to show that dark, ugly things were going on behind the, you know, David Lynch style sort of in a way, right? Um, so he's showing children though. And you'll see in the first scene, right? It's violence against children. It's attacks on children. There's a very, very, very disturbing subtext here, especially in the post Pizzagate era, <laughs> I should say. There's a very disturbing subtext to this, especially because there's a lot of what I can easily identify in my research as these monarch you know, mind control themes and motifs. You just see it there in the beginning. Um, so again, the, the splitting, the, the birds, um, the spinning of the flower. Um, I think also there, there's several, there's several, and also what's really disturbing is the little kid. I think you already passed it, but it's a little kid behind bars. And it's probably like on a porch, but it's made to look like he's behind bars. Oh, no, you haven't passed it. Maybe you're going back to the beginning. But um, and it looks like and a dog is barking at him. So we hear in some of this monarch literature about, pe about kids being tortured with animals or threatened with animals. And, and it shows up in movies I, in, increasingly that depict this stuff. Lord of Illusions, I was just watching a few days ago, has this stuff. And so there's a lot of monarch stuff um, um, in just that opening sequence. If you guys have any comments on it. I would just say it just reminded me of like a music video, like so. I just felt like they were that was the intro. It was this kind of like welcome to my music style? There's the spinning right there, yeah. Um, but yeah, not not too much. But Pellington, I think he directed uh, Jeremy for uh, what was it? What's that name of the band? Pearl Jam. Yeah. Pearl Jam, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and and Jeremy right is a notorious video. People may not remember it today, but it. It depicts a, a kid bringing a gun to school and then, you know, points it at the class and then he commits suicide in front of the class. And the song was based on a real story. But he, this video was, you know, cited as inspiring. Uh, there you go. It was, it, it, was in, it, it was cited in the feedback loop that Thomas and I track between spectacular violence and media and how media feeds into it and creates it and then responds to it in this feedback loop. So Pellington is you know, part of that, that world of, of playing those kind of game, playing those kind of mind games um, with the public.
And I hadn't realized that it was literally the same person that designed this, that designed the opening title cre- uh, sequence for Seven, because I thought it felt exactly the same. And even though the music style is a little bit different, you can tell it's the the same vibe is trying to be reached as the remix of Nine Inch Nails' song Closer for for Seven. And so when I was uh, so when I was watching this opening sequence, I was thinking about um, about the the psyop that we've talked about around David Fincher and how that itself feeds into a lot of program to kill stuff, as I mentioned. Uh, the last time that we were on here. And so with Fincher Connections, we can also, uh, jumping ahead a little bit, but just because uh, Seven is on my mind, also another Fincher movie we've talked about on this show, Fight Club, the, the idea of the cult that is just permeating society and infiltrated everything is everywhere, but in the in-universe, in the film, not government-sponsored. So we, we have that connection there. But yeah, with Seven, I think there's a, a lot of very immediate connections there because like Brett's been talking about, the inversion and misdirection where you have this horrible ritualistic uh, serial killing violence in Seven and then it's uh, basically supposed to be in the film perpetrated by a Christian fundamentalist type and we'll see those similar references with the Tim Robbins character um, in, in Arlington Road. I can mention a couple later on a couple moments where they really try to sell you on the, the Christian identity of these people but yeah that makes so much sense that it's literally the same person who did the Seven title sequence. <laughs> Yeah. So, and the and then the first scene continues these you know this underlying theme I think of organized child abuse the, in the background of the events um, in in the movie, and we never really so this kid the blonde kid is the guy who did um, Dennis the Menace and he's in Rushmore. Um, I can't remember his name, but so he's walking down the street and he's obviously he's in a trance. He's in a daze. He's been in some kind of accident or something. He's he's bleeding. Um, you know, we never really find out what happens. He goes to the hospital and then to Tim Robbins and Joan Cusack are these sort of sketchy people that are, you know, uh, pick them. They they have a, a likely story of what, what happened. And we never really, that's the interesting. We never really figure out what happened to him. Although this kind of theme of messing with children psychologically and in other ways continues um, uh, throughout the film to the point where, you know, his own, the main character's own son is going to be, He's first groomed and then he's kidnapped by by the cult and they use him trying to chase his son to get him into the fbi building to set him up um as a as a patsy and there was a scene in an alternate version of the film there was a scene where um the the there's an interaction between the tim robbins oliver character the oliver character who's the mastermind um terrorist and the son of the jeff bridges character michael where it seems like the son might know what happened and maybe he's going to take revenge. So Arlington Road 2 kind of tease um, with that. But it's never really clear what happens to, to, to Brady there. Um, it's kind of interesting. But yeah, so the first thing, though, it's the, the state of shock and trance um, that, that he's in. And then shortly after that, we're going to get the reference to The Wizard of Oz when Tim Robbins tells him, guess we're not in Kansas anymore. So we have another monarch trope here with dissociation, trauma, you know that scene where he says that is also like building the whole cult aspect of the group Tim Robbins is part of, right? So the kids like we're building a compound. You need to know the secret handshake. Do you have classified information, right? And so, yeah, yeah. He comes over, so he come. They, they start living in this neighborhood, and um, the 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 kids start going over to each other's houses. And so when the kid from the right-wing militia infiltrator family of uh, Tim Robbins starts coming over. Like he's teaching the kid how to play 
like he's a spy, like he's an operative and, you know, classified information. I didn't, you know, I didn't know the uh, militia groups had classified information. That sounds like feds, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, to sure me. Yes, it does. Yep. And it's funny how well placed uh, a lot of those hints are towards the beginning of the mystery as compared to just how hysterical the film gets towards the end. Because I, I really, really enjoyed this, uh, just cinematically speaking, for first half or two thirds. It, it, there's some really chilling moments in terms of the audience being taken deeper down the rabbit hole along with the Jeff Bridges character's paranoia that turns out to be vindicated. But then <laughs> towards the end, not only does as some, of, some of the reason this wasn't particularly well received, even though it was a mixed opinion, um, was just because a lot of the, the plot in the final act is, is very contrived, but also uh, the movie truck kind of abandons all subtlety like two-thirds of the way through and just goes out of its way to just to show you that Tim Robbins and his wife and this call to just pure evil, just the most evil that evil can be. And it really loses a lot of, I think, uh, the finesse that it had in at least the first half of the film. Yeah, I agree with that. And then the suggestion at the very end, they're selling their house, right? So they could be moving next to you next, right? So they're giving up and plot, you know, going on for their next plot. Well, see, even yeah, even that I think is an example of the kind of projection inversion that we're talking about, where in fact um, the clandestine services and these intelligence agencies like the CIA they buy up neighborhoods through straw buyers and stuff like that, and they control not just one place here, one place there. Sometimes they control whole neighborhoods and things. So that's a real thing. Um, but they're, but no, I'm sorry, the, you know, Aryan Republican army doesn't control, you know, like a whole neighborhood like that. And everybody's pretending to have jobs as bakers and that's not what they do really realistically. And that's what the movie, um, is, is trying to sell, um, to you. Yeah. But yeah, no, it is interesting. Yeah, it is so interesting. that's so like, that's yeah. like yeah. uh, you need to, you need to mute somebody. Needs to mute. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so they, uh, yeah, they really sell this huge, vast conspiracy. And of course, the main character, the Robbins character, comes from right in the center of the Midwest, right? So there, everything takes place in D.C., but this guy's like pinned, right-centered. Uh, and apparently in the, in the earlier draft of the film, they used the events at the Murrah Federal Building. I think it was 1995, but then they decided to change it in the film for some reason. They called the... Uh, they like into the bottle. Oh no, they they turned it to into a daycare center, right? So they're, they're they got they got new, up new with world. IRS target or some Dean Scobie type character. No, they they actually they, they mentioned the daycare, but it was and they call it another federal building, which doesn't exist. The so called Roosevelt Federal Building in St. Louis. Um, and it's supposedly a disgruntled uh, former army guy has a problem with the IRS. So originally, you're right. In the original script, it was it was just Oklahoma City, though, and so it's clearly coded as Oklahoma City here. Um, interestingly, they um, the when he when when he's doing the slideshow for his students and showing the bomb damage and the the rest of it, um, what they use are the Kobar Towers in Saudi Arabia instead, not Oklahoma City, and there was nothing in St. Louis. Um, this is where like 19 U.S. military soldiers were killed in 96. And that's interesting because that's one of several cues that the filmmakers are quite aware of the conspiracy, the very true conspiracy theories um, around this, namely that 
the amount of fertilizer used and and could not have have done the damage and the, the, and so on. We can discuss that. But um, the conspiracy theorists routinely cite that that particular attack, where many more tons of of um, fertilizer, similar bomb, I guess, was used, and it did considerably less damage and zero structural damage. Whereas in Oklahoma City, you know, the beams were twisted around um, and so on. Like half the building okay. collapsed. But they've stated that somebody I talked to thinks that the actual truck was switched out, like hyper-paranoid stuff. And obviously people have seen, uh, saw the guy, what was his name, Timothy McVeigh, with somebody else, and there was a compound. So, like, you can see some of those theme, those words literally seeped into the screenplay of this film uh, using the compound notion. But, yeah, I mean, the, the Murrah building, there's a lot of problems, so... Operation and there is a little bit of like mind control out there too because it wasn't Jolly and West who showed up to talk to McVeigh, but it was his like underling, this guy named Smith, who literally showed up while you know to him while he was uh, in jail. So it's totally crazy. Like almost so many events, there's always some kind of like MK psych psychiatrist who pops up. But uh, so that that theme is definitely in this film. Yeah, to be sure. And another thing, Michael mentioned C4 and that speech of the C4 was used to, um, which was not used in the, the building, the Cobar building that you see on the slide, um, which is supposed to stand for a bombing that didn't happen, which is actually Oklahoma City. Um, but he says C4, which is what, as a, in, as in point of fact, was that used to do the damage. Um, or most of the damage at Oklahoma City. I think that's where the the, the bulk of it. And the, by the way, the guy who invented the neutron bomb has has said as much that there's there's no. It, it's just simply impossible with the the Fed narrative. And there were whistleblowers actually within the FBI crime lab who said that they were just playing havoc with with any evidentiary standards, and they were kind of making up as they went along. Um, Brigadier generals have come out, and and it was it was still a time. It was interesting. It was still a time when. At least initially, there was some questioning from kind of, you know, establishment quarters of this because it was just so hokey the whole, um, the whole setup, right? None of it made any sense, and all the witnesses contradicted the official story. And um, but somehow it 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 locked in, right? And by '99, it was taken for granted, and they could just get so brazen, right, and just throw this stuff out in the movie like it's the yeah the right wing was making patsies, and that's why you know. Um, Right. Yeah. And in terms of the the patsy element to the to the twist ending of the film, uh, we've already mentioned Parallax View, which we talked about um, close to a year ago, the first time that that we collaborated. But um, there was a uh, so you have that as a good example of the ending of a movie where it's established that this is a repeated pattern, where somebody is where there is this organization that is going to be uh, creating scapegoats for these spectacular crimes, whether assassination in that case or terrorism in this case and uh you know, since i mentioned fincher uh with seven and fight club and i think there are some other thematic connections with fight club that i i, I might mention down the road but um another director that brett and i have done a series on a couple of his films came to mind for the ending of this is for Nolan and spoilers, but thinking of uh, his his first two films, following in Memento, you have uh, you have a similar dynamic uh, there going on in terms of finding out that a person is being used, uh, or that or that there's a master manipulator who has a pattern of using 
person or people over and over again to accomplish some kind of crime. And then the important uh, connection there is the idea of the master manipulator, just like it is with, uh, with, with David Fincher and the serial killer theme that comes up in a lot of his movies. Um, it, it, it happens in those couple of early Nolan movies where you get some more of the uh, overtly psyopy stuff on a political and metaphysical level later in Nolan's filmography. But very early on, you see the same thing going on there as with Arlington Road, which is the idea of this uh, this nearly omnipotent manipulative power. But again, just like with PTK dynamics, not coming top down, not coming from conspirators that are uh, occultic or connected to the deep state or anything, but just, again, some terrifying evil that we both have to fear and borderline worship you know the fetishization of the master manipulator comes up in films we analyze uh we analyze all the time so the the, the ending of nolan's first movie following where a person finds out he's been set up as a patsy and then the ending of memento which is fairly ridiculous in a way that again is kind of parallel to how this movie falls off at the end in terms of how contrived the plot is we find out at the end of memento that the character is just basically a serial killer who's being set up through his amnesia over and over again, kill a person, uh, kill different people who have the same name. Uh, so very similar, just to say that in a, in a much bigger Hollywood psyop, the Christopher Nolan filmography, the master manipulator dynamic there, uh, I think is quite relevant to what is going on in Arlington Road. Yeah, so in addition to Oklahoma City, right, there's references to other, you know, landmark events in the militia, uh, so-called militia versus fed saga, you know, the 90s, you have Ruby Ridge and, and Waco. And so there's, there's a backstory that Michael's wife was an FBI uh, lady and was killed during a Ruby Ridge style raid. And this is where, this is the dead giveaway, this sequence, this is the dead giveaway that, um, that the filmmakers were acting as mouthpieces for, for the, I mean, the feds couldn't have, I mean, you couldn't just tell people this kind of narrative straightforwardly and keep a straight face um, that, you know, so they, so they do a movie, but anyway, if you know the events of Ruby Ridge, you see how they're twisting it around um, the, the kid. So in at Ruby Ridge, the, the feds were the, the FBI, the ATF, I can't remember. I believe the FBI, right. They were um, preparing an ambush. They were, they were doing a reconnaissance for an ambush and they got scouted by the family dog. And when they shot the dog, um, something happened after that that's very much in, in dispute. And they killed this little boy and, um, you know, claim he shot first. So in this one, like the kid is like, he's basically like a freaking Navy SEAL. Like he's just ready to go as soon as they spook him. And um, they don't kill the dog. And, you know, so, and then it, it gets worse. They, um, the his wife the jeff bridges character's wife is executed by a woman holding a baby right so meaning that you know sometimes you have to shoot you know these ruthless women with babies because at ruby ridge they should they did not kill right or, no did they kill his wife right they killed I his wife remember. while she was yeah. holding a baby right she wasn't executing anybody while holding a baby right they shot and killed her so in this movie in fed world yeah, uh, this is what happens yeah, so true. And it does, the backstory to Randy Weaver is that he was set up as an agent by an agent provocateur. He was a white separatist uh, who I don't think he had a history of any violence, but somebody went to him, I think, in a church or some meeting and tried to get him to buy a sawed off shotgun. And so that was the probably that was the initial thing that led to him being, uh, you know, raided by the feds. And then eventually this guy, I can't even remember. I'm 
can't believe I remember his name, but it was uh, Leon Noriguchi or something was the one who shot the, uh, his wife. And there was a payout. There was a civil uh, trial, and I think Weaver ended up with millions of dollars over the whole thing, the whole incident. Yeah, we yeah Weaver was um, set up by the, the he was a, he wasn't in, but he would associate with this neo-Nazi white separatist group. Um, in the in the area and that group was was completely pockmarked right with um with glowies with feds and um uh, uh, it's the same thing with the elohim city is what it is so that's what timothy mcveigh was associating with this group kind of in a similar fashion to weaver by witness accounts because there was an atf informant who was concerned enough that she told the public that um, that McVeigh had been there talking to Andreas Strassmeyer, a man we can talk about who is a, a German intelligence operative, uh, you know, oh, several times. And it just sounds like kind of like how Weaver's association with this group and then he, but I mean, I think actually it's a little bit different though, because I think McVeigh was already, I mean, by his own account, apparently in this, what he told this uh, guy who wrote a book about him on death row, that he admitted basically that he was a sheep dipped um, agent. Yeah. And it, so he was going around, I think they even sent him out to talk to Bill Cooper, right? So Bill Cooper had some kind of McVeigh story, which is telling. It's almost like they were not just sheep dipping, but creating a legend like, hey, this guy's one of these, uh, you know, underground conspiracy theorist types hanging out with Bill Cooper. About, uh, yeah, the I mean, we're, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say about the Ruby Ridge sequence that uh, that we were just discussing. Um, a thought I wanted to add is that uh, I totally agree with Brett that it's it's very disturbing what they're doing there and kind of uh, justifying that violence and especially it's really sick uh, the shot of yeah the woman holding the baby and killing uh, the, the 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 Jeff Bridges character's wife. But then I also, something that really stands out to me is that she's obviously barely in the film. She this is a, this this is a flashback. She's died before the narrative starts, but but in a lot of ways, she is um, she's the most sympathetic character in the movie, partially because um, we have this really positive view of her from the the from the grieving um, uh, from the grieving widower Jeff Bridges. And I think that with uh, with that sequence, there's something very clever in a really malicious way going on, where the film gives just enough lip service to the idea that okay, there was something. That had something bad that went on that was a largely the fault or partially the fault of excessive force and uh, and shoddy investigation from the feds from the FBI in the movie um, because you know you see a couple of the the lower ranking characters there just being kind of trigger happy but then the uh, the FBI wife is seen to basically be hyper competent she's a victim of the whole situation she's a victim basically of the the poor work that her colleagues have done as that's something that's a uh, really hammered home throughout the movie is that um is that the, the kind of grief over the fact that she died for no good reason because of incompetence but then also because of the the family that they're investigating being really trigger happy a, a, as well so what's the subtext going on basically like well okay we have uh, we have like a problem that you know that we can be incompetent we can be a little bit trigger happy on the government side but really we need hyper competent very very moral good fbi agents like whatever that character's name is you get the subtext that she's really the ideal here that in some ways the jeff bridges character is trying is, is trying to live up to so the movie is really subtly holding her up and then it's seeming like it's not just advocating this kind of bloodthirsty hatred 
and just um, uh, unnecessary violence against um, against people like this family that is uh, that that is wrongly attacked by the FBI agents. But then there's another bait and switch there too because you know we see the like the the. Um, the Tim Robbins character seems to be more sympathetic early on in the movie. He has a whole confrontation with the protagonist when he realizes that he's being investigated, gives this whole background of how the government basically ruined him and his family's life, caused his father's suicide. He made, you know, and then he's giving these grievances that the movie is seeming to kind of take seriously. But then, like I said, by the end, he's just evil and carnage, talking about being fine with murdering children and all these things. So with that, the Ruby Ridge sequence and uh, and then with the kind of uh, arc of the portrayal of the Tim Robbins character, we have the movie uh, being a very sophisticated psyop in kind of incepting the audience's mind that it's giving you a nuanced take on these things, but really it is just demonizing people who are victims of this kind of fed violence and it's holding up an FBI agent, the Jeff Bridges character's deceased wife, as the ultimate ideal of a competent moral uh, moral agent in the movie. Yeah, really good points. And also, the interesting thing is that he takes his students out to the scene, right? It's some, it's the new place is West Virginia. So he's lecturing them almost like he's lecturing the audience, right? So it's like he's lecturing about what really happened. There was like, oh, you know, it was some kind of right wing extremists. He Parsons wasn't even there. They thought they were uncovering a terrorist plot and all this stuff. So it's almost like they were downplaying. Uh, everything that went wrong was like a mistake or was it wasn't uh, like the feds were you know provocating this whole situation right and that's very very subtle writing as well in terms of uh we, the 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 main character seems to be so paranoid uh seems to be kind of unstable but then the movie gives him that massive moment of nuance because he remembers that whole thing and tells that to his students then he briefly backs off of his investigation but then the movie in the second after shows but no he shouldn't have he was totally right the neighborhood is filled with evil right-wing people who want to kill him and take over society and murder children so again very good writing, but the movie shows like, oh, we're being so subtle. He realizes that maybe not all, not all these suspicions are warranted. And then the movie goes, but it turns out they actually all are. Right, right. Go I was going to say, yeah, the movie functions, I would say the, the word is limited hangout here. Um, it's there's a, it's like a cover story, right? For people who are conspiracy suspicious to then, you know, misdirect them. And that's what, you know, um, it's, it's a disinfo campaign in other words, right? To give people a little bit of, to acknowledge a few things that are pretty shocking, uh, but then to misdirect people about the, the true nature of the crime uh, lying in the background. And so like Oliver in the movie, the Tim Robbins character, he gives a sort of grapes of wrath speech about, how he was radicalized because the IRS was persecuting his family, and you know, and then just went to, so that that whole thing ends up right being a cover story in case he got caught. Um, and I think you saw this, you see something similar like in the JFK assassination, where um, I think it was one of Garrison's investigators, right, where one of his FBI informant. You see this in the movie JFK's FBI informant um, tells him that. You know, yeah, it, it's there. You know, it wasn't who you think, but you know, it was actually the Cubans or the Soviets or something. And that was a cover. Some people still believe that cover story, which um, is is completely baseless. But um, the movie itself, I think, is functioning like that. And we can talk about the revelation of the method that's being done by by this movie. You know, kind of like the 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 psyoping of the main character, if you like. Um, his the the Patsy program is kind of what they're doing to the audience, right? 
So they're revealing what they're doing to the audience through the process of what happens, the 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 terrible dirty trick that's played on on Michael. And then at the end, by the way, you see on the marquee of the movie, it says dirty work, right? Which is, is a movie that came out in 1999, but um, is is obviously there for for a reason. Right, no doubt, and it's interesting too. Also, the 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 ex wife was murdered is the ideal, but also the FBI agent, the African American guy, is also a model FBI. Right, he won't do anything illegal that Michael's asking him to, and he's always kind of there as kind of like the uh, confident shoulder for Michael to riff off of. Right, so the FBI is presented as very, you know. Uh, just like the ideal cop right so i think that that's that's also subtly that portrayal is intentional is to show like hey we're the good guys you know we would oh yeah we them. just need the the correctly multicultural group of uh of moral and uh clever and um yeah uh, just uh, interesting fbi agents basically we need the, the the multicultural white hats to save us from from basically the omnipotent tim robbins evil that the jeff bridges character is hopeless uh is hopeless against exactly yeah no doubt did you notice in that that scene after Oliver gives this cover story, um, and he's talking? I mean, the the story because they meant they mention um, was it the IRS or was it it was something about BLM land though, wasn't it? In that scene, I'm trying to remember. There was at one point they're talking about um, BLM and and people being radicalized, and at the end of that scene, he says uh, he says to him, "See you at the ranch," which is really weird, right? Because you get the Bundy Ranch thing over BLM some years later. Um, but that had been brewing uh, for a long time. So I wonder if that is not, because there's so many references to um, this duel between the militia movement, so-called, and and the, the feds. You know, you almost wonder if that, is, that was not one. Um, other stuff too, like the van, like the use of sort of um, moving companies as a front, because this this cult, apparently they, they control like again, whole sectors of society. Um, that reminds me of the whole urban moving systems Mossad operation around 9-11, if people know that. Um, the the dancing Israeli thing and and um, Mossad's apparent foreknowledge of, of 9-11 um, angle. But that, that was at least that, that urban moving systems was a Mossad front is, is verified. Right, there were other things like that. I think the, the Liberty de, the Liberty delivery service. I think it was intentional to call it Liberty. Like you got to be suspicious of all these people wanting their liberty. You know, they're they're then the white van motif, right? The scary white van. There's always a serial killer or a murderer or somebody in there. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Also, they referenced kind of Watergate. There there was a secret kind of exchange between the Robbins character and some girl at uh, a parking garage. Like that's very. DC kind of, you know, deep throat type stuff. So I thought that that was pretty clever of them to put that in there. Like that's what uh, uh, Michael's or Bridges' girlfriend sees and gets her eliminated, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And it is clever with uh, the placement of the word liberty, because again, with uh, when uh, when Oliver is just kind of ranting about, you know, towards the end about the need for uh, vengeance against the government at all costs, it sounds just like mostly just sociopathic and, you know, instead of uh, even strictly ideological. But then you have things like like the word liberty or some of his comments at the kind of the when uh, Jeff Bridges and his girlfriend go over for dinner scene early on. There's some interesting stuff there, but then also just 
just the placement of um, when the Bridges character is doing research at one point and you can kind of see like swastika symbols like with some of the papers that are near him and stuff like that. So you have uh, you have subtly placed all these different uh, things that are meant to suggest a particular kind of far right extremism, even though uh, with uh, this uh, right wing militia terrorist cult thing in the movie, they're not explicitly Nazis or anything like that. But you have those little hints of that type of ideology. Yeah, there was one book when uh, the Bridges character is researching Robbins. It, uh, the title was Post-Fascist Fantasies. So I thought that was it. And like the classic uh, other motif of the you know posters on the wall with Nazi imagery, like you said, and uh, far-right stuff. So that's that's interesting that that's what he's studying. You know? Which makes I mean, me do you get the feeling at the do you get the feeling at the end of the movie that he would that's why he was targeted, like that's why they moved in into Arlington Road is because he was always going to be the Patsy. Yeah, and that I think is part of where the movie gets uh, <laughs> gets just a little bit silly, but that, that I do think was the implication that he was like the long-term target of a PSYOP because he was the perfect person uh, because of him teaching this course on terrorism and all these things for you yeah, um, of uh, the news report about the terrorist event in the very last couple minutes of the movie and you have like the people who knew him his students and stuff talking basically about things that we as the audience know weren't uh, about a mental breakdown leading to uh, leading to a suicide bombing but uh, but seems that way for all the public so uh, I think that's part of again the movies uh, that we sigh up is projecting that kind of power to do that long-term kind of sigh up on someone like the Bridges character from these random militia people when in reality the the place that we see that kind of sustained psyop is with the movie itself, right? With the Hollywood psyop getting the audience to identify with that character and then inserting them into this feedback loop of deception. And so more misdirection, more demoralization, disorientation, all these things there. Well, you know, he says um, to, well, Oliver says to Michael after he knows he's been found and he said, you've studied us, you know, you know, we're everywhere, you know, you know, you know, we're not we're like beyond detection. Like, come on. Of course, that obviously does not describe any anything that you would find researching, um, you know, even the lunatic fringe um, of the, the Patriot movement at, at the time. Um, but it does represent right paranoia over the Illuminati and, and other sort of clandestine outfits. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think what it's what it's signaling there is is pretty clear. And um I, they're, they're just like so many other little like even the the stage car crash killing of the hope davis character right is is a common tactic um of of suiciding people of of whacking people you know uh a la Anne Heche, uh recently right who's trying to get out of a bag that they <laughs> they have her in um maybe alan pacula the director that we we covered also he got the metal bar through the front uh windshield death which is really strange um and you know what do they they kill her i think not just to shut her up too but kind of like as a warning um to to michael which is another thing that we hear that you know people are killed close to somebody to shut them up i mean that's the rumors that william holden the the actor william holden of uh, you know bridge over river Kwai and so on who was a almost the best friend of ronald reagan was his best man he was killed shortly before um reagan met with the uh the bullet of John Hinckley Jr. And the circumstances around his death don't don't add up at all. And some people have said that was kind of a warning to Reagan. 
And um, on the ideas of uh, the the infiltration stuff and the, uh, the what we're talking about in terms of the Nazi imagery, something that all this also made me think of is uh, the shows, William, that we've done talking about uh, the Order of Nine Angles uh, or the the, the, the sh- couple shows that I did, the second one being on uh, on this show with uh, with Theodore, the former Adam Waffen member, uh, just thinking about some of what we know about Temple of Blood and, uh, and, and groups like this, you have the idea that they that they advertise and their self mythologization about um, about infiltration about you know they can they can be anywhere they're going to they're going to gain power in all these different institutions so they can burn down society and build their new if we're going with O9A stuff uh, galactic Aryan Imperium or whatever on top of it but you have there also the kind of projection of oh well is uh, is O9A just some uh, some far right uh, extremist group or no we've talked a lot we've talked at length about um, about Joshua Sutter and Temple of Blood the FBI informant who's a huge part of that organization and other connections that show like obviously this has been a, a fed connected and infil- infiltrated operation for a very very long time which also has the the misdirection of it can be passed off as oh this is a uh, this is this is far right terrorism in a way that can help justify paranoia for to to support a new domestic war on terror that would silence any dissent when in practice when we look at the group we see this uh this really extreme degeneracy in terms of morals anti-christian hatred, Satanism, worship of the American deep state explicitly with Temple of Blood, everything like that. So uh, that that all came to mind when watching Arlington Road as well. Agreed. I mean, it's like the agenda, right? right? So I think that that's the same thing that happened through the the Gretchen Whitmer supposedly supposedly murder plot and Brett, can you you mute yourself? Yeah, J six. I mean, I, there's like there's more information coming around that there are tons of feds around there, and I think even uh, Ray wouldn't say wouldn't actually answer that whether there were FBI agents involved in the whole J six, justifying all kinds of stuff, right? Justifying this uh, the indictment of the president or the former president. So I think that this kind of psyop, this FBI psyop thing, or um, this film is actually very timely, and I think that the title is very odd. I think maybe that didn't gel or kind of excite people to watch it because I think they went with the title because it just seems so normal. So they're like, Hey, you could have this normal, uh, you know, suburban residential area, but inside is a right wing terrorist cell. No, so, but, uh, yeah, I think, what do you guys think about the title? What are your thoughts? Well, um, I, I, I mean, I don't know. The only thing I think is uh, Arlington, Virginia, which is where the screenwriter uh, was was born. So he was probably born into an intelligence community, or perhaps he was. I mean, he's a massive, massively sus, sus person, suspicious person to me. I mean, he has written three of the DOD-supported Transformers films. He wrote the DOD-supported Reindeer Games with Ben Affleck. Uh, American versions of the Ring, Ring Two. He did this this uncredited rewrite on Mine Hunters, which was a even before my, even before um, the Mine Hunter show, there was another movie glorifying FBI profilers that was was more of a B movie. So he's you know he's been somebody doing uh, collaborations with with the deep state pretty well, and then some of his collaborators are just are just pretty suspicious 
um, down the lines. I think Arlington refers to Arlington, Virginia, or you know Arlington Cemetery, right? Fed Fedland, um, you know. Tons of feds. Tons. I mean, not that far from the CIA, the uh, Pentagon, all that stuff. Yeah, I think that it's uh, both exactly what Brett just said in terms of the titles referring to fed land. And then also, I think, because we when we hear that phrase in the movie, it's obviously the protagonist describing the street he lives on. Uh, and so I think that so much of what, again, I mentioned the the tagline, fear thy neighbor earlier. William, you were just talking about this, the kind of nightmare behind suburban life idea. And of course, that's a huge thing, the disturbing opening title sequence that we've talked about. But I think part of it just kind of gives Giving, um, making the title the name of the street that they live on is to say this is happening at your home you might think that suburban life is good but actually it's a nightmare you're not happy you can't trust anyone and the reason you can't trust anyone is because it gets it, I mean it gets kind of weird and looping in itself because the logic is you can't trust anyone because these paranoid conspiratorial militia types are are taking over and want to kill everyone. So there's misdirection and again disorientation um, and traumatization through again this very this horrible way to view human life that everyone around you in your neighborhood you can't be happy, don't be friends with it. I mean think about the dialogue early in the movie where um, where the protagonist is basically uh, lamenting the fact that he doesn't know his neighbors. Better. He wants to be friends with them. He hasn't talked to them yet. Uh, the Robin's character talks about how important friendship is. And then friendship, just getting to know your neighbor, leads to literally the worst thing possible in terms of he, he you know, becomes part of this horrible terrorist plot that kills so many people. His girlfriend is killed. His son, uh, you, know, his, you know, his son is now going to who knows him all these things just because he trusted his neighbor. So Arlington Road, I think, is also, um, it's it's basically saying, uh, yeah, covertly the idea is that Fedland is where you live, but instead of feds, they're getting us to think that the reason there's all this paranoia and awful stuff is just because people are bad, society is bad, and the reason that society is bad is because of violence, militia, Christian types is the logic of the movie. Well. If I, sorry, to make a correction, I said he's actually from Alexandria, Virginia. Aaron Kruger, excuse me, Alexandria, Virginia, but close, close, but close enough. enough. <laughs> but uh, to what Thomas was saying, remember too that I mean, there's also a, I mean, somewhat subtle, but it's their attack on on the family through this too, because this, um, right, this this creepy, um, really messed up uh, family, right? They have their they represent family values that comes up in a scene, in a discussion um, over dinner. Um, so there's this subtle or not so subtle attack on family values um, going on with them. Good point. Yeah, because the wife's involved, right? Joan Cusack is like spying on people. Like she showed up where the girlfriend was at the at the shopping center or whatever, right? The payphone. Yeah, she's yeah, really she's good in the role. The pay the payphone sequence is uh, is pretty creepy. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty predictable that uh, the girlfriend's going to turn around. Someone's going to be there, but just the facial expression that Joan Cusack holds at the very end of that sequence it's 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 really good. But yeah, throughout the movie, you have these different phrases inserted that are supposed to uh, get the audience to to remember that this horrible evil family that they're Christians that the that Tim Robbins says that his wife is at a church group. 
uh, or in an early scene in the movie. And then he has some random, again, doesn't really make too much sense, but when he's just, again, this sociopathic terrorist ranting at the end of the movie, just ask the Bridges character if he's uh, happy with his godless suburban life. So different things like that, that, yeah, this is a family-oriented, uh, conservative Christian uh, set of people who are doing all these things. Yeah, it's weird in that scene. Hope Davis, who plays the girlfriend, um, she uh, so is going to get she's going to get killed in a fake uh, car accident. And so the story is that Hope Davis was best friends with and grew up directly across the street from Mira Sorvino, which is so odd because especially when they were younger, they they resemble each other so much, like to the point where she could be Mira Sorvino's stunt double. Um, and, and I, I mean, across the street, I mean like directly across the street, apparently. Um, and then I think making it even stranger is that there's an actress in the movie, I guess her name is Jenny Tooley, who looks a lot, she's the one that plays the, uh, basically crisis actor, because we have crisis actors. She's, um, she's working for um, the, the militia people, but she's also posing as one of his students. And she goes on television after to describe, you know, his crazy manic uh, um, conspiracy laden plots and speeches and so on, right? As a crisis actor, and she looks so much like Hope Davis that people think that that's her, Hope Davis at the end, and that the girlfriend was actually in on it the whole time. That's confused a lot of people, and I can I can see that because they actually make her look more like. So there's this, and and we did see that vaguely that that sort of doubling, twinning, splitting theme in the in the credit. So there's something. Um, kind of strange uh, about that. And, and then I noticed in the goof section of IMDB, I never noticed this, maybe it's not true, but it says that the phone technician, when they're cutting Michael's phone lines, looks surprising like his girlfriend, Hope Davis, with her head shaved. Um, someone else said that, it's not me, I don't know, but it's just really weird that people are noticing all the kind of doubling, uh, twinning stuff around Hope Davis here. Yeah, it's something else. Uh... It's weird, yeah. I, I was looking through the goof section too. It was weird. I uh, that was the first time I'd ever seen that part. Those things. There was a lot of goofs. There were a lot of mix-ups, or like he's close to the FBI, and then he's far away. But I mean, they, it is interesting how much access they had to the FBI or something, because there were a lot of shots around the the, the real FBI building. Like uh, it's really kind of something else. So, but I also but found also like the 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 subtext of like the pedophilias there with the weird boys, boy scouts discoverer code. Right. So that's to me was weird. Like they're going after the kids, like this family is going to come and try to take your kid and Borg them. You know, like the, they're like, Oh, I was talking to your son about this. And the son likes to see them. And the last scene that we see before the exploding uh, FBI is the son with Joan Cusack, right. Headed off to the museum or something like that. Like he's been fully, taken over by the uh the terrorist plotting family um but uh, yeah the, the weird discover code and wasn't that the key like uh i think it was bridges was looking through an old something about the that's what tied robbins to scoby right the uh, dean scoby the daycare irs targeter right i think that's right Oh no! Sorry. Go ahead, Tom. Did you have something? I, was he tied to Scoby? Did they actually tie him to to Scoby as well, or it was just assumed that he was behind? He was sort of masterminding, or they were masterminding a lot of these things. 
Yeah, that's well, the big think... reveal. Is that, yeah, is that when he's looking through the pictures of um of uh of of that group that he sees Scobie in there with um uh with uh with the Robbins character with with Oliver when he's uh, when he's talking to his, I guess it's Scobie's father and he's looking through the pictures of the uh what is it, the Discover organization. That's like uh, that's when he like runs out at the end because that's his absolute confirmation that uh, that Robbins in fact uh, orchestrated that previous bombing and now he knows that his son is in the hands of this um this terrorist master manipulator and that's again when the movie <laughs> gets pretty ridiculous and he goes to um he goes to that club to see where his son is and the people there are like obviously acting really creepy and strange and stuff like that when he goes to the discoverers but yeah that's uh it's, it's almost treated like a jump scare in the movie very very dramatically when he looks at that picture and sees oliver and scoby in the in the same picture if i'm recalling that scene correctly yeah i think that's right that's right yeah, and there's just a lot of creepiness around the grooming of his son, right? He finds out that his son is having these intimate conversations with the Tim Robbins character, and the Robbins character is wanting him over at the house all the time. And like, what is what? It, certainly, one subtext of that is like PEDO, um, and you know, maybe it's sort of both things going on here. But it's clear they're they're trying to psychologically manipulate the the um, the son, and it's connected to the Boy Scouts in the in the movie so um presumably they weren't um, working with the boy scouts like to burnish their pr no no but i i mean the boy scouts is is red and full of pedos and but i think did they mention the boy scouts by name i thought the discoverer group was just kind of like uh oh yeah they, they couldn't probably couldn't say it for real i think that they say that the discoverers are like um they they compare him to the Boy Scouts in one explicit line of dialogue, but distinguish them like it's uh it's it's like a younger version or something along those lines. So they they establish the existence in universe of the Boy Scouts and say that the discoverers are something. Gotcha, gotcha. Why do you think they named uh the Bridges character Faraday? Like, why would you name somebody after like the guy who worked on? what discovered electromagnetism or whatever. I, I thought that was an interesting choice. I don't know. It seems, it seems odd. like, is he the, is that what they're trying to suggest or imply is that he's like this figure that's, you know, uh, symbolic of, of so many people. Like you got to really be a careful dad and watch out because there's, there's church going right wing terrorists across the street. I don't know. Is Oliver for Oliver Stone, who's also a limited hangout misdirection artist to a great degree, in in my opinion. But... Yeah, On another too, character, yeah. by the way, one thing that I wanted to to make sure to mention is uh, some other um, a very successful, or I think at least well enacted manipulation the audience that the movie does through a character we were talking about a few moments ago, the girlfriend, the Hope Davis character, because uh, there's a couple things going on in the sequences where she is trying to dissuade Jeff Bridges from of his of his suspicions of him looking into this possible terrorist plot because. The audience knows, you know, that obviously that the, we know that the end of the movie isn't going to be, oh, you know, there was nothing going on. Like we're we're primed to be uh, to be sympathetic to him and to identify him as much as possible. So this is something to watch out for in movies is when um, is, is when you are made to identify more with the main character by becoming frustrated by somebody, another character that the movie is supposedly taking seriously, uh, just putting forward a bad argument against something that the 
audience knows to be true. So when I was watching like the hope uh, the, the sequences where the girlfriend, the Hope Davis character, is talking to to the protagonist Michael about that, uh, it reminded me some of another film that uh, that Brett and I analyzed not too long ago when we talked to the Collins brothers on our show. That's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And with the central character of that movie there, there's all there's all kinds of anti-family psyop stuff going on about the very infantilizing UFO spirituality he chases after. And part of the way that the Spielberg film accomplishes that is by um, making the wife frustrating. He knows that the, the audience has seen the, the UFO stuff. We know something's going on. And she's like, oh, it's just one of those things. Please stop thinking about it, which is supposed to make us all go, well, he's right. And therefore be all right with his irresponsible, really contemptible actions. Uh, the the um, central character of this film isn't nearly uh, that bad, but it's a similar thing in terms of getting us to really identify with his paranoia by having the foil of this character that we know is wrong. So there's that going on. And and then also a similar psyop to what uh, to what happens in um, something like the David Fincher Zodiac movie with the Jake Gyllenhaal character, where the idea that in order to investigate any kind of conspiracy, you have to become antisocial, you have to kind of let your life fall apart a little bit, which is a very annoying psyop that, of course, comes up all the time. The psychologization of the conspiracy researcher, and so the movie at the at both is doing that in terms of basically. Um, fetishizing this continuing to fetishize this nebulous evil but then also this like trying to dissuade people from doing serious conspiracy research by saying you'll go insane uh if you do that and at the same time getting people to assume the position of this heavily psyop protagonist with a foil of the bad arguments from his girlfriend yeah so with that did we want to talk a little bit about the uh production and the people behind uh, the film, because I think there's some interesting um, uh, meat for discussion there. I mean, it's the the Samuelsons, Mark Samuelson and Peter Samuelson were the people who optioned the script. And they're these English-born, multi-generational um, entertainment industry um, figures, mostly producers, um, pretty much all producers. Um, I, I so Sam, Peter Samuels. So they're both they're both just gigantic figures. It's hard to emphasize. They're they're just part of the. Um, I mean, they've all been big executives and part of the Academy and so on. So they're they're really deeply intertwined in the entertainment industry more than um, than most people. Um, uh, uh, something with Steven Spielberg. Yes, there it, it's um, with Steven Spielberg and General Norman Schwarzkopf. Okay, so here we have the Hollywood DC uh, thing again. Peter Samuelson created the Starbright world, uh, which is this early virtual, this is back in the 90s, this like early virtual world for kids who were sick. They could go into this virtual world and enjoy them. So apparently it didn't work very well. Um, and it, but it was made as part of the Starlight Children's Foundation, which um, he, he started with um, Spielberg. Or so. I, they've all, they were all involved in this, Norman Schwarzkopf, Steven Spielberg. Um, so he's he really comes out of that, that world of Steven Spielberg. Um, he is also he served on the this three person advisory board uh, at the beginning of Jeff Skoll's participant productions. I don't know if you know what that is. People don't talk about it that much, even in the kind of cultural engineering circles um, that we're in. But it's if you see a lot of those movies with George Clooney, I think Syriana and Good Night and Good Luck, um, these issue movies, participant um, 
uh, productions behind that. And I, and I bet I have not researched it a lot, but I bet you'd find significant overlap with the political world and that because I mean, anywhere George Clooney goes, um, you will, but he was basically a founding member um, of of that. And I, he has a lot of suspicious credits um, that that we could talk about. Um, the, the other person who is worth mentioning is the executive producer, this guy, I won't, it's a Norwegian name, I'm sure you won't pronounce it correctly, Sigurdjian Sigvatsen, who's a big time Scandinavian producer and production executive, um, who's worked a lot in the US and his whole career is just very suspicious to me. So his most recent credit, by the way, is for this climate hysteria movie, Extinction, Extinction with two X's, Extinction Emergency. I mean, <laughs> you get the message, right? Um, uh, panic button, climate hysteria. He executive produced uh, this 2006 compilation of erotic art films called Destricted, which includes pieces by um, Marina Abramovich, um, who people will know by now, but Matthew Barney, they may not know, who's probably worse than Marina Abramovich. Um, a Lord of Illusions, what I was just mentioning, I, he executive produced that movie, which is why I watched it. Um, uh, which is it, that movie is just chock full of monarch tropes. He produced California, which is also about people visiting um, the sites of serial killers, like serial killer tourism. That was a breakthrough film you might know for Brad Pitt and Juliette Lewis. Um, he also produced David Lynch's monarch film Wild at Heart. And uh, before that, he apparently I didn't go deep into this research, but he has some credits for Finch, David Fincher's propaganda films outfit, which made not just music videos, but like promotional things. And he directed this Alyssa Milano uh, exercise video. He also directed a Playboy VHS. Um, he gave Todd Salons his his debut. I don't know, people may not remember or know Todd Salons. Welcome to the Dollhouse, Happiness, very um, John Waters level degeneracy. Um, basically. So anyway, those are the those are the major figures in the production that I thought were just really worth highlighting for their their susness, as we say. I found it uh, I found it um, interesting and unsurprising that the screenwriter among his uh, uh, his I think his most recent credit is uh, uh, he co-wrote Top Gun Maverick which is a uh, very good movie, but just a Department of Defense commercial, uh, very explicitly so. So you can kind of, with that and some other things, see just the continuity of national security, state-sponsored cinema with this kind of um, uh, this kind of end of history version of it uh, in the 90s uh, with someone like Tony Scott, like basically um, war on terror kind of stuff uh, in the 2000s. And then more recently with something like uh, like the film The Batman that Brett and I have analyzed, which is, um, as I've said many times before, but still bears repeating all about the fact that incel conspiracy terrorists are dangerous. Therefore, Batman needs to help uh, a direct AOC analog start a new domestic war on terror. So you see just uh they, they 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 move some of the pieces around but thematically and in terms of personnel there's a lot of continuity here the uh, california you mentioned has a huge scene of like tons of smiley faces and it. it's almost like the ed sheeran video it's just he takes like i think the character the brad pitt character takes a smiley face pillow and shoots somebody it's just right in front of your face i included in my second sfk documentary did you did you notice the smiley face in Arlington Road when the, the birthday party at the beginning? There's a smiley face clearly oh, visible oh. on the balloon. Oh, wow. 
Oh, and uh, another connection in terms of personnel that's maybe a couple steps removed. But I think, uh, Brett, I only um, I only caught this uh, because of uh, in your notes you had mentioned the uh, the person who had done I think the choreography for um, for Pellington's what his film the, the Severing I think it is is that right? Is that right. Yes, this person who's a very open um, uh, thelemite practicer of magic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nina McNeely. I actually uh, I had recognized that name because when I saw it in your notes uh, on your research on this film, Brett, because she she hasn't actually directed too many music videos herself. She's done a few, uh, and one I think probably I'm sure her um, uh, her biggest one yet, or among them is uh, is uh, that she directed just came out about a week ago for the song "Paint the Town Red" by uh, the pop and hip hop artist Doja Cat, and just say openly satanic is just a drastic understatement it's just disgusting it's just just open satanism that is just like trying to take things probably even further than something like the little nas x video from a couple years ago or the sam smith grammy performance just really really gross and so that's not a direct arlington road connection but i thought it was interesting that um i saw that character uh pop up uh, pop up so recently so i don't recommend people watch it but uh but paint the town red uh by by doja cat is a video that shows just how extreme the pop satanism is getting well they they might watch the uh, theatrical trailer for the severing that the movie we're talking about that recent Mark Pellington movie where Nina McNeely did the choreography because I mean what it is is it's uh, like this piano music playing and there's these corpse like people in a dingy warehouse that are you know dancing around as if they're possessed by demons I mean I, I defy anyone to look at that and tell me that's not what the theme is here um and they're you know eating each other and doing all kinds of other horrible things to each other in a kind of pantomime um way but i mean that's the that's where this goes like that's where that's the kind of art that their worldview when you you give it free reign like it ultimately produces um these kinds of decaying monstrosities I'm trying to find the opening scene to arlington road see if i can find the uh, smiley face see if i can Bring that up. The guy's name you mentioned, his name is Sigur John Sigvatson's last name spelled S I G H V A T S S O N. But yeah, he's done some, some yeah. stuff. And then the, the extinction emergency is there with the kind of uh, X Men symbol in the center. Like it looks like a, obviously like a, you know, timekeeper, sand timekeeper, but it also is an O with an X in it. So uh, very sus. Let me see if I can pull that up. Yeah, and I mean, while you're doing that, I, I could say that, I mean, Pellington has has a lot of susness in his grace. First video, by the way, was in, I think, 85 for a Leonard Cohen uh, song. And if um, people read, for example, um, Jason Horsley's book, uh, 16 Maps to, uh, Hell, of Hell, it's um, there's a pretty good chapter on uh, Cohen and the probability that he was um, uh, he was an operative out of the entertainment industry for um, the CIA or, or whoever. Um, we talked about Jeremy. He did this this really really disturbing video for a, the Screaming Trees song "Butterfly," appropriately. Which I mean, apart from the butterfly imagery, it, it the whole it's supposed to the the video is supposed to play like a serial killer's diary or something. That's kind of the conceit, and it shows the death of multiple women. It shows a woman hanging in midair, like butterfly weightlessness, like you know Fritz Springmeier 
says the butterfly is supposed to represent the sort of weightlessness of the trauma victim and all. And then there's these like titles on it, like shoved in tight spots, like closer. I mean, it's, it's just gross. Um, so he's, yeah, I mean, Pellington's done a lot of it through, through his, um, his work in the music industry. He's done a lot of disturbing music videos. Um, and that was kind of his brand that he brought to Arlington road, right. That he could unnerve, uh, kind of audiences, you know, I think he's basically a hired gun, you know, I, I don't sense that he is, has any special agenda. Um, he's, he's just basically a, a hack. I wouldn't say that he's a very accomplished director either. I don't think he's worked that much. I mean, for considering all of his video work, but he hasn't really, I don't know if his films are, have an impact as much as some of these other, you know, guys who came out of music videos. Well, he said he uh, he 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 re-released a, a director's cut of his first film. I can't remember the title; I have it in front of me. But it stars Ben Affleck, actually. Um, and he he called Affleck, and you know Ben wouldn't even answer the phone to come. So that kind of tells you where he he is right now in Hollywood. Yeah, and with the CIA, with the CIA too. It was his first movie, and then I think the only other one of his that I had even heard of, um, yeah, the, the, the CIA Affleck connection. That's yeah, that, yeah, that that's a good point. They might not even be interested in Pelting any, anymore. But um, the Mothman, um, the Mothman prophecies was his well, one after this, so inspired directly by John Keel stuff. But other than uh, that one, I think is two thousand two, and otherwise, I don't even think I had heard of any of the several movies he's done since then. Well. I'm well, I'm saying he's a hack, but I do think, I mean, I think he's a pretty good director. I mean, I think that at least Arlington Road, you know, as, as reprehensible as it is in many ways, and, and also um, Mothman Prophecies, as reprehensible that might be in other ways, they're, they're both pretty well-made, like, studio projects for, for what they're, he's a very competent uh, director. Well, I, I still think that Arlington Road is two-thirds of a very good movie and then just kind of uh, loses all sense of self-control. Uh, but I, um, I, yeah, I really did um, I find myself impressed with the craftsmanship of the propaganda for a lot of it. One other comment I'd, I'd like to, to make about the, uh, the, the manipulation going on here is I, I mentioned earlier about the, the dinner scene where they're discussing politics and, uh, and Oliver's being more extreme of saying, well, we need politicians to be arrested and uh and the jeff bridges character michael is made to seem just very reasonable he's not somebody who's like this ardent defender of the establishment at all costs he's also frustrated he's lost his wife because of some form of government incompetence but it's a very noble moderate kind of frustration of uh oh yeah we're not supposed to look up to politicians we should just concentrate on role models within the family although then there's the side up there too of what happens to him shows that his like i said his trust in the family and neighborhood friendship gets the worst of stuff possible to happen to him but i just think that it's important just like the movie holds up his wife as this kind of ideal figure uh it's it's trying to say that like well look like the jeff bridges character is not like he trusts the government entirely but like look how noble his mistrust is compared to just the hysteria of these people who really don't let these dissidents you know who are who are pure evil it's kind of the other reason i had mentioned a thematic connection with um with Fight Club before is that with that movie you have all the stuff about uh, we you know we have no Great Depression we have no Great War just the spiritual malaise as we talked about at length in our breakdown of it 
And then here there's uh, there's dialogue early on when he's like lecturing his class about basically how much prosperity is in the nation. So why is there so much anti-government sentiment? Um, and so basically the film is saying, well, in this end of history moment, we could be all fine, but we have these hysterical people who for no reason use anti-government sentiment as an excuse for ultimate evil. And therefore we will be all fine if we can just be all right with whatever level of government surveillance and force it takes to enforce that kind of protection against that against that discontent. I mentioned the reverse psychology with the Hope Davis character. And another part of that is her talking about uh, the Bill of Rights. Uh, she says, oh, did you, didn't you teach the Bill of Rights today in your class or something like that? Which, again, is really chilling because we know she's wrong and he's right. So the subtext there is it should be fine for them to throw away the Bill of Rights to clamp down on people like the Robbins character. So that's all going Yeah, Pellington actually says in uh, some of the promotional material, the film like, well, people people who think that, or maybe it was an interview, I can't remember, but you know, people who think that it this is crazy, this scenario, like he he says, people in the FBI were or whatever, right? He says, I think the FBI would would disagree or disagrees or, um, like, <laughs> yeah, no, duh, right? Of course. Um, so it's I, I think what the the psyop here is 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 pretty obvious. Um, you know, at a certain level, it's not Pellington's like first collaboration either that I can prove. Um, I guess at least indirectly, or or you know, with um, with the Pentagon, he directed the video, the music video for Allison Chains's Rooster, um, if you know that song and, and the video. But the video is about the the traumatic effects of the Vietnam War on American soldiers and the. I can't remember the guitarist or the lead singer of, of Allison Chains. It's actually his father, but they had Captain Dale Die as a technical advisor. And I, I don't know if people know Dale Die. You see him in a lot of movies, military movies, a lot of Oliver Stone movies from Platoon, and um, I think he's in Heaven and Earth and Natural Born Killers. But he he was a um, I don't remember which branch of the military he was in, but he found he left the military and he founded Warriors Inc. in 1984 which trains the actors that you see in, in war films to be authentic. Um, and so, and his company is the top military consultant to Hollywood. And it's, you look at him and even while he was running this from like in the eighties, while he was running this company and supposedly acting as a correspondent for soldier of fortune magazine, he was also in central America training troops in El Salvador and Nicaragua. Um, so the guy can be proven to have been acting um, as a, as an operative, um, for special forces or whatever branch he was doing it, even as he was advising Hollywood and, and acting like he was a, a journalist. So, um, but yeah, so Pellington's worked with him and I talk about Tim Robbins too, because I mean, Robbins is kind of, um, known for his political profile, um, and, and Hollywood. And he's very, of course, um, one of these people who, um, I don't disagree with everything Robin says, but of course he's always playing up alarm about right-wing extremists, or he's frequently kind of played up alarm about right-wing extremists um, in the in the past. Well, he is, I mean, to be fair to him, he is kind of a civil liberties guy, and he's opposed the coof lockdowns, and, you know, he's sort of a Bernie Sanders, Ralph Nader wing um, of the of the Hollywood left. Right, that's right. He was he was dated somebody for years. What's her face? Uh, Susan Sarandon. 
Yes, indeed. Who similar, right? Um, similar profile politically with Susan Sarandon. They were married for many years and okay. and and got divorced. Um, but his his father is kind of interesting. Like the story, Robin's father was um, in a, a a folk act in the early '60s, like at the beginning of that whole, uh, or maybe at the beginning, but at the kind of efflorescence of that whole kind of Greenwich Village and Boston um, uh, scene, right when the Boston Strangler stuff was going on. Um, by the way, too, but like all the members of this group, they went on to very, very successful careers, usually in Washington. But um, the guy, I don't know, he was the lead singer or lead guitarist, but uh, he ends up becoming the um, United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit judge under Reagan. He actually passed up the FBI directorship um, for for this judgeship. So Robbins has some um, like connections, some politically connected people early on. Um, in his his background, so he drops out of UCLA to go to the Air Force, where he becomes a conductor and 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 drum major. His father, um, uh, that is, but um, yeah, it's interesting because Robbins' first role in any anything at all was on a television show called Saint Elsewhere, where he plays a domestic terrorist. <laughs> okay, that's his very first role. Um, it was like a three part series, and he and um, so some, yeah, some feedback going on there. Um, yeah, he says, Robin says he, he, he researched the militia movement while he was um, working on his stage play Carnage, which is a, supposed to be the satire on televangelism. It looks like a standard kind of Hollywood smear against American traditionalism. Um, he was in the DOD collaboration Toy Soldiers movie that was made in collaboration with the Department of Defense. He's in Tony Scott's Top Gun. Um, so he's not a not a stranger to Hollywood, D.C. Right, interesting background. Wasn't he also in that one movie where it was based upon uh, the Phoenix program where he was on drugs or whatever? What was that film called? Was it Jacob's Ladder? Do you remember that? Yeah, we're we're actually going to be going on a show to be to, to talk about Jacob's Ladder um, next month. So Bridges, well, Bridges. I mean, people kind of know um, uh, Jeff Bridges' background. You know, he's the multi generational Hollywood. I researching it, it's interesting. He served in the Coast Guard for some reason from sixty seven to seven, like eight years. Um, he became an officer in the the Coast Guard. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's about that's about it. I mean, there's some there's some odds and there's some odds and ends. There's a new show actually in development um, are, uh, based on Arlington Road called Arlington Road, um, and it's been in development for like a couple of years. And Pellington says that, and he's involved with it as an executive producer. And he said that it's the edginess of the subject matter that, that's tying up uh, production. But he said, it's the, could there be a better time for a, uh, I think he says even paranoia and conspiracy theory, right? Could there be a better time? So he sort of relishes running the psyop, the same kind of psyop right now, which I mean, to him, I'm sure it's, it's perhaps just an exercise in audience uh, manipulation that's, that's hostile toward the right. I mean, it may be the appeal to him to, to do it, but I don't know. And I guess the only other comment that um, that that I have on this film is that one moment towards the very end, I do think it's very well pulled off. And just the the brief shot of Tim Robbins, Oliver just saying boom 
when the, the when the after the bomb goes off or right when it goes off uh yeah the the character has been established this master manipulator at this point the audience at that everything's come together we see just how perfectly the protagonist has been set up and then we see that before the very dramatic explosion shot of the terrorist uh, attack being pulled off successfully and uh, so what just that makes me think of, in addition to that being a, a well pulled off chilling moment, is uh, just like with serial killer films, just how evil it is the way that Hollywood revisits this kind of trauma up, uh, upon the public through these feedback loops between media and spectacular violence, what we discuss about the Joker cycle, and so many other things that uh, that factions of society that, uh, that perpetrate these type of inside job terrorist attacks then get to just... Uh, create further mayhem in the minds of the public through disorientation and demoralization through through these kind of films because yeah the master manipulator thing it has a lot of functions part of it being the misdirection that we've already covered and part of it is because that's how they see themselves they want to see themselves as these master manipulators who can not only blow up buildings but then make movies about blowing up buildings that confuse people's perception of why the buildings were blown up they want to see themselves um they want to see themselves in that role and i'm well i'm just very glad that it seems like at this point maybe more people are waking up coming up to the to this feedback loop being able to see these films with a critical distance see culture with a critical distance so that we can hopefully no longer have to be under this reign of uh not of just evil and smugness from cultural engineers forever so that's something that um that's something that that shot made me think so one thing I, I did want to mention before we go, um, someone noted in the goof section as well that um, th there wouldn't have been enough. First of all, it's, it's noted there wouldn't have been enough explosive to do that a damage, amount of damage to the building. Second, there's two explosions if you look closely. Um, I didn't go to confirm that, but somebody written that in the goofs. So that's a clear signal that they're they're certainly well aware of the conspiracy theories um, around Oklahoma City and are, and are sort of flaunting them um, like this. Interesting. I missed that. Yeah. Well, where can people find your stuff? I know you guys are pretty active on Patreon and the podcast. Why don't you mention that? Uh, people can check out our stuff at psyop-cinema.com and they can find the podcast on Spreaker, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and uh, patreon.com slash cinema for bonus content, which I especially right now uh, recommend that people check out because of Brett's uh, sub-series within his larger Monarch series on Return to Oz, which is just uh, presenting such in-depth research and I think it's uh, probably the best premium content we've ever done, so I think listeners of this show will be very interested in that so patreon.com slash psyop cinema for that and they can uh, find us at cinema psyop on twitter and where's the best place that people want to reach out and contact you patreon patreon works and we also include emails for both of us under the descriptions on of all of our episodes all right cool thanks so much for your time really appreciate it it's brett and thomas of psyop cinema and we covered arlington road thanks